Dear Father, I pray that you will open your word to us today, that your spirit will speak to us and guide us as we study that we may be thinking your thoughts after you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as I mentioned last night, no attitude but humility is appropriate in any study like this. We read in the book of Isaiah, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. We looked at that before. Here Jesus, the child who is to be born, is called the Everlasting Father. Not that he was God the Father, but that Jesus, before his birth in Bethlehem, was a father to Israel. It was Jesus who taught us that his father was also our father. And so he taught us to pray, Our Father, who art in heaven. And he told us that the Father himself loveth you. But returning to our first text, Jesus is described as the everlasting Father. As we saw earlier today, this is one of a number of verses where we are told that Jesus existed eternally before he came to this earth. However, there are some who claim that Jesus' existence was not eternal in the past. There was a time, they say, when he came into existence. And the principal verses they rely on to prove this idea are found in Proverbs 8. And so we will examine this passage today. It says, The Lord possessed me in the beginning of his way, before his works of old. I was set up from everlasting, from the beginning or ever the earth was. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no fountains abounding with water. Before the mountains were settled, before the hills was I brought forth. Notice that this passage says, when there were no depths, I was brought forth. And before the hills... I was brought forth. There were those that claimed that this passage is a prophecy about Jesus and how he came into existence. Is this true? We need to know. We will begin by noting that whenever we examine any piece of writing, we must first of all determine what sort of writing it is. Is it an English essay? Is it a scientific publication? Is it poetry? Is it prose? Is it a text or telegram? Or a tweet? Or is it a parable? The way we understand any piece of writing will be affected by the kind of literature it is. For instance, Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan and then said to the lawyer who had asked him, who was my neighbour, he said, go and do thou likewise. What did Jesus mean by this? Did he mean that he should spend his time walking up and down the Jericho Road with a donkey in tow 
so that he could pick up wounded travellers? Of course not. How do we know? It was a parable. Now, if I were to quote to you the following words, I wandered lonely as a cloud that floats on high or vales and hills, when all at once I saw a crowd, a host of golden daffodils. What sort of literature is that? It is poetry, isn't it? How do we know? It rhymes. Cloud rhymes with crowd, and hills rhymes with daffodils, and it has a regular rhythm. It also has something else that poetry often has. Do you know what that is? It has personification. What is that? It is treating non-personal things as if they were actual persons. In our poem, clouds are said to be lonely. Are clouds lonely? Only if you're using personification. The Bible also uses personification and we need to realise that. The first piece of personification was used by God himself. You remember that God said to Cain, the voice of thy brother's blood crieth out, crieth unto me from the ground. The earth hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. Two pieces of personification there. Abel's blood had a voice and cried out. The earth had a mouth which she opened to receive the blood of Abel. But there are longer pieces of personification in the Bible. In Judges we read the following story. The trees went forth on a time to anoint a king over them. And they said unto the olive tree, Reign thou over us. But the olive tree said unto them, Should I leave my fatness wherewith uh, they honour God and man? Wherewith by me they honour God and man, and go to be promoted over the trees? And the trees said unto the fig tree, Come thou and reign over us. But the fig tree said unto them, Should I forsake my sweetness and my good fruit, and go to be promoted over the trees? Then said the trees unto the vine, Come thou and reign over us. And the vine said unto them, should I leave my wine, which cheereth God and man, and go to be promoted over the trees? Then said all the trees unto the bramble, Come thou and reign over us. And the bramble said unto the trees, If in truth you anoint me king over you, then come and put your trust in my shadow, and if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. The meaning of this parable need not concern us now. Or when you can read the context for yourself in Judges 9. Our purpose today is merely to show that some people like to use personification or extended personification to get their point across. Solomon was one such person. He is called the wisest man who ever lived, apart from Jesus, of course, and he liked to personify wisdom as we will now see in the book of Proverbs. Wisdom crieth without, 
She uttereth her voice in the streets. She crieth in the chief places of concourse, in the openings of the gate. In the city she uttereth her words, saying, and it goes on. Here, wisdom is personified as a female person calling out to anyone who will hear. The personification is here indicated by the use of the word she and her. She calls out in the streets and in any place where people gather. The passage continues by recording her words. How long, ye simple ones? How long will ye love simplicity? And the scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. Because I have called and you refused, I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded. But ye have set at naught all my counsel, and would none of my reproof. And so it continues to the end of the chapter. For the next couple of chapters, Solomon continues to talk about wisdom, but largely without personification. For instance, he says, For the Lord giveth wisdom, out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. Happy is the man that findeth wisdom, and the man that getteth understanding. Wisdom is personified again in chapter 3, verses 15 to 18. She is more precious than rubies, and all the things thou canst deny, desire are not to be compared unto her. Length of days is in her hand, and in her left hand riches and honour. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her, and happy is everyone that retaineth her. Then we have a section without personification, we find such statements as, The Lord by wisdom hath founded the earth, by understanding hath he established the heavens, and the wise shall inherit glory, but shame shall be the promotion of fools. A small amount of personification returns in the next chapter. Get wisdom, get understanding, forget it not, neither decline from the words of my mouth. Forsake her not, and she shall preserve thee. Love her, and she shall keep thee. Wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom, and with all thy getting get understanding. Exalt her, and she shall promote thee. She shall give, bring thee to honour when thou dost embrace her. She shall give to thy head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory shall she deliver to thee. Proverbs continues largely without personification right through into chapter 7. In this section we find such verses as, I have taught thee in the way of wisdom, I have led thee in right paths. But the path of the just is as a shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is light, and the reproofs of instruction are the way of life. That's in Proverbs 6. When suddenly we have this amazing piece of personification, say unto wisdom, 
Thou art my sister, and call understanding thy kinswoman. Or as it says in the English Standard Version, Say unto wisdom you are my sister, and call insight your intimate friend. The rest of the chapter continues without personification, describing in literal detail the fall of a foolish man whose wisdom has departed him. In chapter 8, personification is resumed with these words, Doth not wisdom cry, and understanding put forth her voice? She standeth in the top of high places, by the way in the place of the paths. She crieth at the gates, at the entry of the city, at the opening in at the doors. This is reminiscent of the way that the personification began in chapter 1, and now it continues throughout Proverbs 8 and much of Proverbs 9. It is the longest piece of sustained personification in the whole of the Bible, and maybe in the whole of the English literature. In this passage we find such statements as, Receive my instruction and not silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than rubies, and all the things that may be desired are not to be compared to it. And blessed is the man that heareth me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the posts of my doors. For whoso findeth me findeth life, and shall obtain favour of the Lord. The personification ends with the following words. This is in Proverbs 9. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. For by me thy days shall be multiplied, and the years of thy life shall be increased. The high point of this extended passage of personification is a long section where wisdom is speaking and the words are recorded in the first person. That is, wisdom calls herself I and me. This passage begins at Proverbs 8 verse 4 and is introduced as follows. Doth not wisdom cry, and understanding put forth her voice? Unto you, O men, I call, and my voice is to the sons of men. O ye simple, understand wisdom, and ye fools, be ye of an understanding heart. Hear, for I will speak of excellent things, and the opening of my lips shall be right things. In the middle of this long section where wisdom is speaking and calling herself I and me, we have the passage that began our inquiry today. We will now look at this in a bit more detail. The lead up to this section is worth noting. It says, Counsel is mine, and sound wisdom. I am understanding. I have strength. By me kings reign and princes decree justice. By me princes rule and nobles even all the judges of the earth. I love them that love me, and those that seek me early shall find me. 
riches and honour are with me, yea, durable riches and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, yea, than fine gold, and my revenue than choice silver. I lead in the way of righteousness, in the midst of the paths of judgment, that I may cause those that love me to inherit substance, and I will fill their treasures. Then, without a break, wisdom personified begins talking about her relationship with God. The Lord possessed me in the beginning of his way, before his works of old. I was set up from everlasting, from the beginning or ever the earth was. Then wisdom speaks as if she were born at that time. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no fountains abounding with water, before the mountains were settled, before the hills was I brought forth. While as yet he had not made the earth, nor the fields, nor the highest part of the dust of the world. Wisdom then speaks of being present with God as his helper at the creation of the world. When he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he set a compass fate upon the face of the depths, when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the fountains of the deep, when he gave to the sea his decree that the waters should not pass his commandment, when he appointed the foundations of the earth. Then I was by him as one brought up with him. I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him. Rejoicing in the habitable part of the earth, and my delights were with the sons of men. Because wisdom has been with God from all eternity and was closely associated with him in the work of creation, she is well qualified to give us instruction now. Hence she continues, Now therefore hearken unto me, O ye children, for blessed are they that keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise and refuse it not. Blessed is the man that heareth me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the posts of my doors. This whole section is clearly a personification of wisdom and with this agree the vast majority of conservative commentators and evangelical scholars today. For instance, the expositor's Bible commentary says in Proverbs 8, Wisdom, on the other hand, cannot be presented as an actual person, but only as a personification. And Albert Barnes says, Wisdom is personified. In the Hebrew, the noun is a feminine plural, as though this wisdom were the queen of all wisdoms, uniting in herself all their excellences. She lifts up her voice, not in solitude, but in the haunts of men without, that is outside the walls, in the streets, at the highest point of all places of concourse, in the open space of the gates where the elders meet and the king sits in judgment. And of the brought forth passages he says, a world of waters, great deeps, lying in darkness, 
This was the picture of the remotest time of which man could form any conception. And yet the coexistence of the uncreated wisdom with the eternal Yahweh was before that. Adam Clark calls it high poetic personification. I was brought forth, Kalati. I was produced as by labouring throes. Mr Parkhurst thinks that the heathen poets derived their idea of Minerva's, that is wisdom's, being born of Jupiter's brain from some such high poetic personification as that in the text. Yet there are some who see this passage not as personification, but as speaking directly of Christ. And so, according to them, Christ was brought forth. We will now see that their reasons do not hold water. It is claimed that several New Testament verses apply these Proverbs 8 verses to Jesus. Chief among these verses is 1 Corinthians 1.24, here Paul says, Unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Here Christ is called the wisdom of God. Is this a reference to wisdom in Proverbs 8? The context shows that it is not. The previous verse says, But we preach Christ crucified, unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. The idea of obtaining salvation through a crucified Redeemer was utter foolishness to the Greeks, and so it is to many today. A university lecturer referring to the crucifixion of Jesus once said to me, God was playing games. But in reality, the crucifixion of Jesus as our substitute is the most amazing demonstration of the wisdom of God that could ever be given. This is what Paul is referring to by calling Christ the wisdom of God in 1 Corinthians 1.24. It is not a reference to Proverbs 8. Likewise, John 1.1-3 is cited as an allusion to Proverbs 8. You know how it goes. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Christ was there with God at the time of creation and, and did the work of creation. Wisdom was also there at that time by him, it says. There is no allusion here at all. It is merely an illusion, a figment of some people's imagination. The same is true of the next passage cited, Colossians 1.16, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. Again, there is no allusion here to Proverbs 8. It is also claimed that some of wisdom's statements sound like God speaking. Such statements as, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. 
And because I have called and you refused, I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded. But ye have said it naught all my counsel and would none of my reproof. Why shouldn't wisdom sound like God speaking? This is not any kind of wisdom, it is God's wisdom. As it says in Proverbs 2.6, For the Lord giveth wisdom, out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. No wonder wisdom at times sounds like God himself speaking, but it is not a basis for directing the passage to Christ. We may therefore safely conclude that Proverbs 8 is a personification of wisdom. It is not a direct reference to Christ. However, this does not prevent us making a secondary application of the passage to Christ, as many have done. But as with all secondary applications, not every detail of the passage applies. Thus the highly figurative statements about wisdom being brought forth cannot be used as proof that Christ was in any sense born at this time. These statements simply do not apply to Christ at all. Now it is instructive to note how Ellen White uses this passage in reference to Christ. In Patriarchs and Prophets she said, And the Son of God declares concerning himself, The Lord possessed me in the beginning of his way, before his works of old. He's, he's quoting Proverbs 8. I was set up from everlasting. And then there's four dots which indicate an omission. When he appointed the foundations of the earth, then I was by him, there's one brought up with him. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him. But did you notice something? The brought forth passages are not there. Alan White has intentionally left them out. There are two other places where Alan White quotes Proverbs 8 in reference to Christ. In these two places she included the brought forth passages but assures us of Jesus' eternal existence both before and after, quoting Proverbs 8. Notice how she does it. The word existence, she says, as a divine being, even the eternal Son of God, in union and oneness with the Father, from everlasting, he was the mediator of the covenant, the one in whom all nations of the earth, both Jews and Gentiles, if they accepted him, were to be blessed. The word was with God and the word was God. Before men or angels were created, the word was with God and was God. The world was made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. If Christ made all things, he existed before all things. The words spoken in regard to this are so decisive that no one may be left in doubt. No one need be left in doubt. Christ was 
God essentially and in the highest sense. He was with God from all eternity. God over all, blessed forevermore. The Lord Jesus Christ, the divine Son of God, existed from eternity, a distinct person, yet one with the Father. He was the surpassing glory of heaven. He was the commander of the heavenly intelligences, and the adoring homage of the angels were received by him as his right. This was no robbery of God. She then quotes Proverbs 8, including the brought forth passages, and then continues. There are light and glory in the truth that Christ was one with the Father before the foundation of the world was laid. This is the light shining in a dark place, making it resplendent with divine original glory. This truth, infinitely mysterious in itself, explains other mysteries and otherwise unexplainable truths while it is enshrouded in, in light, unapproachable and incomprehensible. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting thou art God. The people which sat in darkness saw great light, and to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, uh, light is sprung up. Here, the pre-existence of Christ and the purpose of his manifestation to our world are presented as living beams of light from the eternal throne. <coughs> Here she states concerning Christ that he is the eternal Son of God. From everlasting he was the mediator of the covenant. He was God essentially and in the highest sense. He was with God from all eternity, a distinct person, yet one with the Father. What marvellous statements concerning the eternity of Jesus. Yet there is more. After quoting Proverbs 8, Ellen Wright refers to the pre-existence of Jesus by quoting the one passage which we like to associate with the eternity of God more than any other. From everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. What an amazing statement to apply to Jesus. In the final passage, where Ellen White applies Proverbs 8 to Christ, she does the same kind of thing. She says, Before Abraham was, I am. Christ is the self, is the pre-existent, self-existent Son of God. The message he gave to Moses to give to the children of Israel was, Thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. The prophet Micah writes of him, But thou, Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. Through Solomon Christ declared, and she then quotes Proverbs 8, including the brought forth passages, and then continues, In speaking of his pre-existence, Christ carries the mind back through dateless ages. He assures us that there 
Never was a time when he was not in close fellowship with the eternal God. He to whose voice the Jews were then listening had been with God as one brought up with him. Just as in the previous example, Ellen White surrounds the brought forth statements with assurances of the eternity of Jesus. She begins by quoting the two main pas passages are used to prove the eternity of Jesus biblically. Before Abraham was I am in John 8:58, which she links with the story of Moses at the burning bush and Micah 5:2 concerning the birth of Jesus, whose goings forth have been from of old from everlasting. Then after quoting Proverbs 8, she says, he assures us that there never was a time when he was not in close fellowship with the eternal God. What more definite statement could you get than that? There is thus no biblical ground, nor is there spirit of prophecy ground for thinking that Proverbs 8 refers to Jesus having a beginning. He does not. He has been there eternally with the Father. Praise his wonderful name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.